Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lynn Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir, shalom, assalamu alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste, good morning, good abend, que pasa, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I get on to the Aaron Rodgers uh, watch, before I get on to speaking about some of the trades in the NFL, before I get into the Phoenix Suns losing Kevin Durant because of a sprained ankle during warm-ups, before I get into everything surrounding my Georgetown Hoyas firing America's coach Patrick Ewing and talk about the NCAA tournament just a little before I get into all of those things, I just want to say... What's up, man? How you doing? How you feeling? Everything good? Everything all right? You doing well? You doing what you need to do to make this world a better place to be? Whether we're speaking about in Los Angeles, California, whether we're speaking about in Perth, Australia, whether we're speaking about Pakistan, whether we're speaking about Ontario, whether we're speaking about the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, whether we're speaking about Enid, Oklahoma, whether we're speaking about Richardson, Texas, whether we're speaking about Minneapolis, Minnesota, whether we're speaking about anywhere all over the globe. Are we doing what we need to do to make this world a better place to be? How do we do that? We do that by talking to somebody, learning from somebody, that's different than you, listening, learning, giving them real respect, giving them love, support, and uh, everything that they need. What the world need, needs now is a lot more love, and uh, let's see what we can do to do so. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, as always, wherever you're listening to this podcast, Amazon, iTunes, iHeart, Spotify. Do me a favor. If you would, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate, review, download, follow, subscribe, do all those things. Most importantly, as always, enjoy the program. Whether you're sitting waiting for a plane and it's been delayed, whether you're in the air and you want to listen to something going across the country, going to the next state, going to the next country, whether you're on a Greyhound, whether you're on an Amtrak, whether you're driving across the country, whether you're driving down the block, whether you're at work, whether you're at the barbershop, whatever, man. If you want to listen to some good sports talk and you want to listen to some some uh, sports talk, putting it down with the realism, Wendell's world in sports, that is the deal. All right, two minutes and 20 seconds in, way too far, way too long. Let me get into what I want to be speaking about. I- I'm-, I'm still on the Aaron Rodgers watch. I'm recording this on a Monday night. Has he signed with the Jets yet? I know Trey Wingo said it was official, that it was basically a done deal. I know Sports Illustrated came out and said that it was a done deal. Aaron Rodgers going to the New York Jets. Is it done? 
Can we celebrate? Can New York Jets fans celebrate? Can you go out in Times Square and do all them type of things? What's going on, man? Because I haven't heard from Yahoo. I haven't heard from uh, CBS Sports. I haven't heard from ESPN. I haven't heard it on the NFL Network. I haven't heard it anywhere in terms of it is a done deal. Even though there's some reports saying that it is a done deal, it has not yet been confirmed that it is a done deal. So Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, all those guys, as of this recording, Aaron Rodgers is, I don't know what he is. I don't know if he's in limbo. I don't know if he's retiring. I don't know if he's still in a dark place. I don't know if he's with the New York Jets. My guess, my guesstimation is that he's just finalizing something in terms with the uh, Jets where there's smoke, there's fire. So maybe it's just a situation of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm just I'm just sick of it, man. I, I just can't wait for Aaron Rodgers to finally sign with the uh, find, sign with the New York Jets, or sign, with, or go back to the Green Bay Packers, or retire, or go back to Jeopardy, or go back to Dana, Danica Patrick, or go back to sitting courtside watching the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know, and I don't care where he goes, man. That's just a situation where, man, this guy can um, suck the air out of everything with the tournament starting and football season basically being over. Yes, I know. That NFL free agency starts on Wednesday. I get it and I understand. But hey, look, man, Jimmy Garoppolo just signed with the Las Vegas Raiders, all right? I mean, there's some things going on right now that I think the folks who want to speak about the NFL 24-7 and just dominate the sports landscape in terms of speaking about the NFL, speaking about the Mike Greenberg show every morning. I mean, there's other things that we can talk about besides, yes, where's Aaron Rodgers going to land? What is up with Aaron Rodgers? Does the lack of decision-making mean that Aaron Rodgers is going to retire? What happens if Aaron Rodgers does retire? What happens if he doesn't retire? What happens if he goes back to Green Bay? What happens if he goes to the New York Jets? What are your predictions if he goes to the New York Jets? What the New York Jets are going to be as a team if Aaron Rodgers... Like, come on, man. Can we just kind of, like, put a stop? Can we put a kibosh to the Aaron Rodgers, where is he going, this, that, and the other. And I know I've been speaking about it for a couple of minutes. And look, man, when Aaron Rodgers, we, we really can't guesstimate and we really can't estimate the impact of Aaron Rodgers. Let, let's just say, for instance, let's, let's play the game, okay? Let's go ahead and play the Aaron Rodgers has now been traded to the New York Jets game, okay? Let's go ahead and play that. We don't know the impact of what he'll have as a player, in the season for the New York Jets until we find out what exactly the Jets are giving up to get him. We, we don't know exactly short-term and long-term exactly what the ramifications are for the New York Jets in acquiring Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, when you acquire someone who's 40 years old, who's coming off a down season, that the expectations of Aaron Rodgers, again, coming off a down season for Aaron Rodgers, coming off of two MVP seasons before that, so his slippage in play, okay, doesn't mean that all of a sudden now he's going to be uh, Teddy Bridgewater. But still, this is a situation where Aaron Rodgers is 40 years old, for all of us who have been past 40, who are now, now in their 50s, like myself, I'm, I'm here to tell you, and you can tell and you can confirm this also, as you get older, you do not get stronger. As you get older, you do not get faster. As you get older, you do not, your um, fast twitch muscles don't get better. As you grow older, your skills and your athleticism do not get better. And at 40 years old, the amount of mileage, the amount of playing time, and everything that Aaron Rodgers has put into the game, 
game, again, I'm not saying that he's going to fall off the cliff. I'm not saying that all of a sudden now he's going to be a bad quarterback. I'm not saying that he's going to have what Russell Wilson went through in his first season with the Denver Broncos. Especially when you think about if Aaron Rodgers is traded to the New York Jets, that he's going to be reunited with Nathaniel Hackett, his quarterback coach in Green Bay, or his offense, I don't know what it was, but his good friend, Nathaniel Hackett, who couldn't cut it as a coach with the Denver Broncos, but he's going to be reunited with him, and maybe they'll go ahead and bring in Randall Cobb's other good friend, and he's there with Garrett Wilson, and he's in New York with a strong defense, and everybody's saying that, man, the New York Jets were a quarterback away from really being serious contenders, in the AFC, and Aaron Rodgers is the guy that can um, that 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 can um, leapfrog or that can propel the New York Jets to the place where they want to go, which is Super Bowl contenders. And if you take a look at all of the quarterbacks that are available, and you take a look at the Jimmy Garoppolo's, and you took take a look at the David Carr's, and you take a look at the other quarterbacks who have signed, the Geno Smith who re-signed, the Daniel Jones who re-signed, and all the other quarterbacks that could have, might have been available of any type of stature, acquiring Aaron Rodgers for the New York Jets if the biggest ploy, is the biggest trade, is the biggest piece that the New York Jets, who are woefully inept at the quarterback, starting quarterback position last year, that's the best they could have done. You're not going to go out and get Patrick Mahomes. You're not going to go out and trade for uh, Joe Burrow. I mean, maybe you could make an argument that the Jets should have gone after Lamar Jackson, but we know that's not going to happen, even though long-term, maybe possibly, if, if, if Lamar and his mom could stop talking about uh, guaranteed contracts, I'll get into that a little bit later on in the podcast, but the New York Jets did what they had to do, man. Go out and get themselves the best available quarterback that is available, and Aaron Rodgers, and see what happens. The key, again, if this trade goes down, and with Aaron Rodgers, you'd never know what's going to happen, man, but it's, let's just go on the assumption. Let's just go on the thought pattern that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a New York Jets. If he is, man, I'm telling you one thing. Does this propel the New York Jets? Where does it propel the New York Jets? Are they truly Super Bowl contenders? Are they truly going to be on the same level with the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals and the Kansas City football team and the Jacksonville Jags who are up and coming? Are the New York Jets set to be Super Bowl contenders? Because you have to think with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, and you would have to think that if the New York Jets were going to acquire, are going to acquire Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers, that a lot of their future is going to be tied into the trade that's going to give the opportunity for the Jets to acquire Aaron Rodgers. So obviously you're thinking that this Jets team, with the if they acquire Aaron Rodgers, that this is a one or two-year best opportunity, two-year uh, uh, opportunity for them to win a Super Bowl. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, man, you know what? If you're the New York Jets, a situation where they haven't won anything since 1968 with Joe Willie Namath, good Lord have mercy, that's 55, what's that, 55 years ago? Was there 55 years ago or some nonsense like that? So, yes, I can understand that if you have faced a lifetime of um, quarterbacks such as, uh, outside of Ken Davis, if you were, you know, gone through quarterbacks such as, uh, 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 uh Todd Blackledge and Boomer Esiason and Neil O'Donnell and Bubby Brister and Mark Sanchez 
and um, Zach Wilson. I, I can understand you saying, hey, man, no, no matter how quirky or how unique or how, how kind of Kyrie Irving light Aaron Rodgers might be as a personality, man, this is a situation, man, where we have to uh, kind of go by this. And, and who cares about 2025 and 26 and 27? Hell, we might not even be living in 2027. You think I'm going to be worried about that? God hoping, God willing, I, I am. I sure hope so. I'm not planning on going anywhere. Hopefully, you're not planning on going anywhere. But hey, man, if you're a New York Jets fan, if you're a lifelong New York Jets fan, and you're somewhere around my age group, which is like 42 to 55, 56, somewhere, somewhere like that, then you would never come close except for a handful of times in your existence of living of knowing what it's like to be a successful football team for any amount of time. Yet you had that quick run with Bill Parcells for, what, a year or two before he decided to go somewhere else and Bill Belichick turned down the job so he could become the head coach of the the, uh, New England Patriots. But for the most part, it's been nothing but pain and misery. We've had coaches like Lou Holtz uh, coach that team. We've had coaches like uh, Rich Kotite coach that team. We've had bad draft picks. I'm speaking now to New York Jets fans. You've had... Bad opportunities, bad decisions, bad moves, and bad teams, not just for a couple of years, not for a decade, but for almost over half a century. For some folks who are AARP age, you have never, ever been associated with a winner if you are the New York Jets. Because don't get me Joe Willie Navis in 1968 when you were two years old. That didn't count. Man, you didn't have a VHS. You didn't have cable. You didn't have any recording devices. You didn't. You weren't there. You didn't feel it. You weren't cognizant of it. You were two years old. You weren't there sitting there talking about go, Willie, go. Go ahead and try to beat the blitz by the Baltimore Colts. Emerson Boozer, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Don Maynard, take him and take him strong. That's it, Willie Joe, hand it off again. You weren't at the Super Bowl. You can't remember the Super Bowl when you were two to three years old. So don't give me this nonsense if you are 56, 57, 58 years old talking about, yeah, in my lifetime, I was part of the New York Jets winning the championship. You were a baby. You were a child. I'm talking about as a fan, as a mature fan, as a fan that was cognizant of the team, maybe when you started when you are 7, maybe when you were started when you were 8, 10, 12, whenever your first memories of being a New York Jet football fan your first memories of understanding what it took to be a New York Jet uh, fan the, 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 the memories that you have of the understanding of what it is to have that passion of being a Jet fan passing it down from generation to generation I'm talking about that type of fan. You ain't known jack about what it's like to win a championship, which in all entails means that, yes, I can understand you being giddy. Yes, I can understand you being glass half full. Yes, I can understand you being optimistic. Yes, I can see the reason why you would be hopeful, rejuvenated almost, with the thought of the New York Jets acquiring Aaron Rodgers, but man, let's just kind of think, let's just kind of sit back a little bit, because y'all were the same way when you guys got Brett Favre, and then he jumped out to that 
Nice lead in the AFC East. That victory, I believe it was Thursday night over the uh, New England Patriots, who were then the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, still in the dynasty-led New England Patriots, and you beat them, and you guys were 6-2, and two, and you guys were dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas. You were dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie. You, Richie, you were doing the funky chicken. You were doing the James Brown. You were doing the kitten play, and you thought, Lord have mercy. Western New York, we're going to have on our, ourselves, uh, or New York, we're going to have our, uh, ourselves an opportunity for the Jets to uh, win the championship. And then what happened? You lose to uh, Chad Pennington, an ex-Jet quarterback. You lose to him, and he's playing for Miami. And Brett Favre says, I want to retire again before he goes back to uh, Minnesota, goes back to the NFC, and the Jets are right back to being the same old Jets. It's that type of story. It's that type of play. It's that type of TV series. It's that type of movie. It's that type of book that's being written about the New York Jets year after year after year. And yeah, man, I complain. And yeah, man, I feel sorry for myself. And yeah, man, I get depressed. And yeah, man, I talk about, oh, man, the Washington, now they're called commanders. Oh, the Washington commanders. I feel so terrible for the new generation who was born and bred in Washington commanders fed in terms of their loyalty, in terms of their passion, in terms of the love for their for football team, the the meaning of watch of what the Washington franchise means, not just to the DMV, not just to the Washington metropolitan area, but for the longest time what it meant for those down in Richmond, Virginia, for those in Charlotte, North Carolina, for those down in Charleston, South Carolina before the Panthers came into town. Man, if you speak about if you're born or if you were around, or if your knowledge of the Washington football team started when Daniel Snyder owned the owned the club, man, I feel sorry for you. And I always said that. We were losing a generation of fans here in Washington who had to be part of the inept com- incompetence of that piece of garbage of a human being scumbag known as Daniel Snyder. I had Joe Gibbs. I had the Hogs. I had Doug Williams. I had Mark Rippon. I had John Rickon. I had Joe Theismann. I had Dexter Manley. I had Charles Mann. I had all of those guys. I had Joe Gibbs. I had the 1980s, man. Where along with the New York Giants and the San Francisco 49ers, we were one of the elite teams in the NFL. At least I have that to go ahead and what you strengthened me in what cemented my love not just for the Washington football team but for my love and not just for the NFL but for my love of sports but man for the New York Jets fan you guys have nothing outside of Cleveland you guys have you guys must be the most sad sack sorry feeling sorry for group in in, in the NFL because y'all ain't got nothing to show I mean at least Minnesota a couple of times made the NFC championship at least Minnesota in the 70s made it to four Super Bowls. At least Minnesota did something in the past 50 years. The Jets have done nothing. And all of this is to say that, yes, I can understand you put the blinders on. Yes, I can understand the glass is half full no matter what. If you guys acquire, acquire Aaron Rodgers, great for you guys, fabulous for you guys, wonderful for you guys. But... I must warn you, and this has nothing to do with curses, this has nothing to do with history, this has nothing to do with any of that nonsense. It's just a matter of, man, again, you are dealing with a 40-year-old quarterback in Aaron Rodgers who, again, fell off a little. Again, he ain't fallen off the turnip truck. Again, he's not going to all of a sudden turn into a bad quarterback. But still, if the New York Jets fans are expecting the 
Aaron Rodgers that won two consecutive MVPs at the age of, what, 37 or 38, something like that? I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is coming back. Now, are we going to get close to the... What, what, what version of Aaron Rodgers are we going to get to if you're a New York Jet fan? Are we going to get to the Aaron Rodgers that was closer to the guy that won two straight MVPs only three years ago, two years ago? Or are we going to get the Aaron Rodgers that performed uh, so poorly at times last season for the Green Bay Packers? And look, man, you can sit there and talk about, oh, yeah, they didn't have Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers didn't have the wide receivers and they were young and they were inexperienced and he didn't have any talent around them. And look, man, if you're Aaron Rodgers and you're coming off two MVPs, um, you, you can't just clearly blame bad defense, bad wide receivers, and a banged-up offensive line for you having the season that you did. And if that's going to be the case, then maybe, as again, as a New York Jet fan, you need to temper your excitement. Oh, man, Garrett Wilson is going to be able to catch uh, X amount of balls, and he's going to you know, have 1,400, 1,500 yards receiving and the breakout and this, that, and the other. Like, look, man, Garrett Wilson is a really good wide receiver. He's a really good prospect at the wide receiver position when you're speaking about that next generation of wide receivers who have the opportunity to be one of the best receivers or a strong number one receiver for a NFL team that looks to throw the ball that can win a championship. Without question, Garrett Wilson is on the path. He's on that trajectory for doing so. But he's not there. He's not there yet. He's not Stephon Diggs. He's not Jamar Chase. He's not at that level yet. He, he could be in a couple of years. Uh, maybe playing with Aaron Rodgers gets him closer without question. It's much much easier for Garrett Wilson to reach those highs when he's playing with even a 40-year-old, not as good as people think he is, Aaron Rodgers, compared to what he was dealing with with Zach Wilson. So, yes, of course, there's going to be some jump. Yes, of course, there's going to be some improvement. Yes, of course, there's going to be some growth. Yes, of course, there's going to be uh, much better play from Garrett Wilson. But how much are we talking about how much are we looking for how much can you depend on that defense with Leonard Williams and such to play as well as they did last year what can we do from the running back position after the injury what can we do to solidify that even more and again with Aaron Rodgers if things go off the rails quickly what does that mean for the New York Jets because R-E-L-A- X D I D O N apostrophe T W O R K in New York. So he can sit back and talk about, hey man, it's cool, we're fine, no problem. California dreaming, da, da, da. it's such a day. It is like, hey man, hey, get your mamas and papas and get the fuck out of here. You ain't in L.A., you ain't in California, Jack. You know, ain't no, ain't no kicking back this, that, and the other. We need to win, and we need to win now, because if you mortgage. The future for Aaron Rodgers and <laughs> God forbid it doesn't work out. Ugh, the New York Jets are going to be in the New York Jets for a long time. And what does that mean for the head coach? What does that mean for the general manager? What does that mean now long term for the New York Jets? If again, Two failed seasons of Aaron Rodgers. What does the definition for you 
mean for two failed seasons? For me, it means missing the playoffs. It means being just as good or a little bit worse than last season. What would be a successful season for the New York Jets? I say making it to the AFC Championship. I think if they make it to the AFC Championship with Aaron Rodgers at the quarterback, Aaron Rodgers would have to play at an MVP level. Again, is he a, is he is he able to play at that level again? Change of scenery, change of environment, new challenge, and all this type of stuff that a lot of these quarterbacks talk about when they stay with an organization, when they're known from that organization, that they're the face of that organization, that one day, some way, there's going to be a statue, there's going to be a street commemorating Aaron Rodgers, just like there's going to be one in New England for Tom Brady, just like there should be one in Seattle for Russell Wilson, just like, you know, all those quarterbacks, just like there was going to be one for uh, Peyton Manning in Indianapolis when he left, you know, when the uh, greats, when the future Hall of Famers, When the guys who have established a long career in the one city that they play football in, they talk about, hey, man, you know what? It's been great. It's been wonderful. But you know what? After 14, 15, 16 years, you know, you almost put living out there on autopilot. You know, the game is still exciting. You still put in the work. You still do all those type of things. But just as far as everyday living, man, you, you know this, right? Anybody who's been living in one place for 10, 15 years, you you know how it is. Yeah, you go to work. Yeah, you take care of your kids. Yeah, you try to do the best to be a loving wife and husband to your uh, spouses and to your children and stuff. But man, there, there's a comfortability. There's there's something in terms of, you know, you just know certain things. You just know at certain points and certain times, this is what you're going to do. And you take those things for granted. And then it might start to get a little bit stale. And when that starts to get a little bit stale, then all of a sudden we're speaking about it moving into your other life when it goes into your work life. Maybe it's a situation where Aaron Rodgers is just like, look, man, I need a new challenge. I need to feel something different. You know, I need to get out of my comfort zone. I I, I need this last thing to invigorate me to keep playing football near the twilight of my career. And for the Jets, you better hope that he comes in rip, roaring, ready to go because it's going to cost a pretty penny to acquire Aaron Rodgers for the New York Jets. And it's a situation where it's almost like the Los Angeles Rams, right? It's almost a similar situation to what the Miami Dolphins are doing. You put in all your chips to win in a season or two and then we'll face the consequences of putting in all of our chips to win a championship now. We'll pay for that later. That's what the Los Angeles Rams are going through right now. That's the situation with the uh, Miami Dolphins with the acquisition or the trade of Jalen Ramsey for them to uh, shore up that secondary, the Miami Dolphins right now are pushing all of their chips to the table. You know, and all it depends on Tua Tungavailoa, if he can stay healthy. I think the signing of Mike White as their backup quarterback for Miami was a very good uh, stopgap, was a very good insurance policy in case Tua has problems with his concussion uh, uh, situation or other injuries. So I think the Dolphins did a good job in covering their bases with that. Not saying that Mike White is going to be the answer to their prayers if Tua Tungavailoa goes down, but they're not going to uh, fall off the map, which we've seen uh, other franchises do who had chances to do some things when they lose a very important piece to either their offense or to their defense. So 
We're still on Aaron Rodgers. Watch. How about that? I was speaking about, man, I ain't going to be talking about Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to be getting into Aaron Rodgers. And guess what? We're, what, almost 30 minutes into the show, and we're talking about Aaron Rodgers. All right, man. Um, Let me do my promo. Let me do my thing. Let me get a sip of water. Let me stretch my bones. Let me go ahead and do some exercise. And let me go ahead and take a quick 20, 30, 50, 60-second break. uh, 120-minute break plus, or it's 120-second break plus and uh i'll get back and let's talk about this carolina panthers chicago bears trade shall we because uh carolina had the number one pick chicago has made the decision that they are going to build their team around justin fields nice job excellent job we'll get into all that we'll get into a lot more we'll get into the lamar jackson situation is he going to be a raven is he not going to be a raven which team out there is going to offer him the opportunity to play for their team if they do will baltimore match Ooh, a lot of things going on as the nfl free agency starts on wednesday we will discuss you know what? I want to talk about what's happening with Wendell Wallace, and I want to be talking about what's happening with Wendell's world of sports. And I want to uh, get into a little bit of a of a little poetry. I want to get into a little bit of a little rhyme skill. I want to just do something a little bit out the box. So uh, let me go ahead and and do my thing and let uh, Daniel Bryanson take us back in to the program. All right, Wendell Wallace, Wendell's world of sports. Let's get into it. End of the first quarter as I collect myself with a sip of water and think about ways to slaughter the next segment while giving thoughts and praise to Sydney Davis, my awesome and beautiful goddaughter. Wendell's world in sports bringing the game to a higher ground like Stevie, making it look easy. The sports podcasting wonder who's full of thunder, who will plunder and pillage your podcasting village, leaving it desolate and depressing that the truth that I did it you'll be accepting, rejecting the notion that there's not a podcast I can't be hosting, not an obstacle in the broadcasting game I can't overcome, any race that I compete, it can't be won, no broadcasting job I can't get the job done, no challenge that I'm ever, ever running away from. So, coming at me, trying to act tough and nefarious, it's going to be quite hilarious and careless if I'm the target of those actions. I have more control than Janet Jackson, and in a fraction... I'll take the week and slack and send them packing on the midnight train to the land of pain and defeat. With a front row seat to listen and learn from this teacher, pumping knowledge and wisdom about sports on the mic and to the speaker, any wisdom seeker who was not on that educational journey will end up on a gurney blown out in the first round of this podcasting tourney. So, don't try to repeat my show verbatim. Those clowns who do that, good lord, I hate them. Those type of podcasters, I'm never giving them their emancipation. Instead, I'll just emasculate them, fillet them, like a high school basketball player trying to go one-on-one against Jason Tatum. So, as I get back to the show, the flow with the sports of every day, I must say, if you ask the question, can my podcast pass the test? Ask Brian Danielson if my show is the best. Yes! 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 Wendell's World in Sports. 
I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yes, 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 yes. Poor Daniel Bryanson losing to MGF, MJF on uh, on Sunday at the A and E um, at the A and E um, pay per view. Tough break, tough break. Now I don't know if he's going to leave his homeboys, John Moxley, in the gang and go his own route, or he's going to take some time off. We don't know if he's going to come back to be a face. We don't know what's going to be happening with him coming back as a heel. But I know that uh, MJF is going to have his bar mitzvah on Wednesday. I guess then we'll introduce who his next program is going to be with. Uh, wouldn't mind with it being Ricky Starks. I wouldn't mind, of course, being Hangman Page. Wouldn't mind it being even with uh, Kenny Omega, even though he's in the trios with the uh, with the Young Bucks. But uh, I think a situation where it could be uh, MJF and Hangman Page, I think that would be pretty good. Hangman just got off a brutal uh, program with um, John Moxley. John Moxley is pretty funny because Moxley, or John Good as his real name, his wife Renee, is one of the commentators there, and you know he's up there. Hang, he's up there uh, speaking to uh, Hangman Page, and Hangman Page is interviewing, is being interviewed by her, and he's speaking about all of the devilishly horrible things that he's going to do to her husband. And Renee, being the professional that she is, he's like, "Okay, well, all right, sounds good. Back to you there, Tony." He's like, "Uh, <laughs> right, like wow, interesting." Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad. That you could be with us. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about the uh, trade that happened this past week between uh, Carolina and the Chicago Bears. Big move by the Panthers to move to the number one spot in the upcoming NFL draft in April on Friday night. This past Friday night, the Chicago Bears and Carolina Panthers agreed to a blockbuster trade that gave Carolina the first overall pick in April's draft. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, the Bears are trading the number one pick in the 2023 draft to the Panthers in exchange for four draft picks and wide receiver DJ Moore. The Bears will receive Carolina's first-round selection at number nine, a late second-round pick that's going to be number 61. Here's the most important part, a 2024 first-round selection and a 2025 second round pick. Now, you might be asking yourself, how did all this get done? Well, according to a league source, the Panthers initially reached out to the Bears in addition to several other teams at the top of the draft during the combine to inquire about the possibility of moving up. Talk with the Bears uh, picked up a couple of days ago and came to head on Friday. The Panthers are also very interested in Kentucky's Will Levis, uh, early, as early as last uh, season, they're impressed with Levis, Alabama's Bryce Young, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud, uh, Stroud at the uh, Combine. And according to a league source, should the Panthers fall in love with a couple of quarterbacks, they would consider trading back a spot or two. I don't know, man. There's a there's a little something. What, what do you think the Panthers should do with the number one pick? I say go ahead and draft yourselves a quarterback, even though I, I can understand the temptation to uh, move back. Uh, because you might think if, say for instance, you're madly in love with Will Levis. Hell, if you really like Anthony Richardson, you can move back uh, two or three spots and still be at the number four, number five spot. You could maybe trade with the Indianapolis Colts to move up to uh, have them have the number one sp- uh, spot. Recoup some of your draft picks that you gave to the Chicago Bears and still be in the position to possibly draft either a Anthony Richardson or a 
uh, Will Levis if you are that impressed with those guys. Um, the top quarterback draft picks or the top quarterback prospects in their in this draft. You know, we're speaking about Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. And then after that, it's kind of a, a drop-off when you're speaking about Hendon Hooker of Tennessee, Jaron Hall of BYU, Dorian Thompson-Robinson of UCLA, Tanner McKee of Stanford, a couple of others here, Aiden O'Connell and Jake Haytner I never heard of, never heard of what school that they played for. Now, that's not saying that these guys can't come in and do something because I'm not a scout and I'm not Mel Kuyper or um, or uh, Daniel Jacobs, Daniel Jeremiah, Jeremiah or um, Todd McShay, but... You know, when you speak about those other guys, you never know. So, look, when we speak about a franchise quarterback, and when we speak about drafting a quarterback, and I mentioned this in my last podcast, if you speak about C.J. Stroud, and you think about Bryce Young, and you think about Anthony Richardson, and you think about Will Levis, you have to put in context, you have to put in reality, that half of the quarterbacks that you think are going to make it, half of the quarterbacks, as far as the four that I just mentioned, Young, Stroud, Richardson, and Levis, you're going to have to think that half of these guys are going to be bust, and there's a good chance that three of the four draft picks from the top eight, 10 quarterbacks or top 10 picks that are going to be taken as quarterbacks, Levis, Stroud, Richardson, and Young, by their end of the rookie year, they're going to be either on another team, they're going to be a backup, or they're just going to uh, maybe be out of the league. That's going to be, that. that is going to be the more likely case scenario than Young, Stroud, Richardson, and Levis even sniffing the opportunity of having reached the opportunity or reached the um, potential that comes with being a top 10 draft pick in the NFL draft. Man, if you're speaking about drafting a quarterback number one, if you're speaking about drafting a quarterback number five, if you're speaking about drafting a quarterback number eight, if you're speaking about drafting a quarterback in the top 10, you want to have that quarterback be a franchise quarterback. But not every number one pick in the draft is a franchise quarterback. Not every pick in the draft, not every quarterback taken high in the draft at the position where you say if you're going to take him number one, the expectation should be that he is going to be a franchise quarterback for your team. Most of the time, that does not happen. There's more times than not that quarterbacks who are drafted in the second and third round drafted late or in the teens in the first round, have a much better chance of having an impact, a positive impact on the NFL than someone who's drafted in the top five picks. That's just the way it goes. That's what history tells us. So maneuvering and moving up and moving down, you know, just trying to select Bryce Young, I have my questions about Bryce Young. I have my questions about C.J. Stroud. I definitely have some questions about Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. But then again, look, man, I'm not a scout. I don't do this for a living. I don't break down every pass that these guys have thrown since they were in the third grade. I don't do all those type of things. So look, man, if someone who's put in the time and the dedication and had the expertise that says that Bryce Young should be the number one pick in the draft and should be a guy who can play well in the NFL for a long period of time, okay, I guess. But from the ignorant, uh, amateuristic eyes that I saw him at Alabama, I saw a guy who was under six feet tall. I saw a guy who didn't have a big build. I didn't see a guy who that who who 
screamed number one franchise pick for me. I saw a guy who with who has average athleticism, undersized, getting hurt, missing a game against Texas A&M, and I saw a guy who might struggle in the NFL because of his size and his lack of athleticism and his inability to gain girth in terms of, look, man, you know, he ain't going to have a buttocks and thighs and hips and everything like that like Jalen Hurts to where he can kind of compensate some of the lack of ideal height and weight to be a quarterback because he's so damn strong. And this is not a situation with Kyler Murray with his elusiveness. This is not a situation with Michael Vick because of his uber speed and athleticism. This this is not that situation. And, and, and maybe the closest thing that we got for Bryce Young in terms of what quarterback that he can turn into is maybe somewhere of a Drew Brees. And the last time I checked, there's only one of one of Drew Brees. And the reason why Drew Brees is so great, the reason why Drew Brees is one of the best quarterbacks of his generation, the reason why Drew Brees is going to go down as a top 10, top 12 quarterback of all time, and the reason why Drew Brees is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer is because he broke the mold and not too many other people, if any, can break that mold of being undersized and still having an effective successful career maybe not even at the level of Drew Brees but just being a quarterback who can say this is our number one guy and we have an opportunity hell let's even not think about winning a Super Bowl that can have us be successful there's not too many quarterbacks of Bryce Young's height and weight that can say that and again when I see a guy who's not very uh, athletic then I have some real questions about if you're a bad team drafting Bryce Young anywhere near the top. If I'm Carolina, I'm nervous about drafting Bryce Young number one. If I'm the Indianapolis Colts, I'm nervous about drafting Bryce Young where I am in the draft. Now, someone's going to take him, either the first quarterback or the second quarterback, because C.J. Stroud is another guy who has made inroads to be the number one draft uh, uh, pick in the draft. Just based solely on the fact that he's taller, he's bigger than Bryce Young, and he can make all the throws, and he's made them well. Now, there's also this situation where it's like, okay, name me the last quarterback from Ohio State who really panned out, especially when you're speaking about quarterbacks being coached by Urban Meyer and uh, Ryan Day. Which quarterback has come into the NFL under that system and done some things? They, They put up magical numbers. They put up great numbers in college. For Ohio State, but when you're playing for Ohio State in the 11 or 12 games that you're playing, 9 or 10 of them, you're going to win just based on the talent difference alone. Well, then, yeah, it makes it a little bit harder for you to be evaluated as a pro. Now, um, Justin Fields, who played a, a year, what's it, what, a year or two, something like that, for the uh, Buckeyes. I mean, he's TBA in terms of what his ceiling is or how successful that he can be as a starting quarterback in the NFL. But look, man, not everybody can be Trevor Lawrence. Not everybody can be um, uh, Andrew Luck. If Bryce Young was six feet two and weighed about 230 pounds, there'd be no question that he would be the number one pick in the draft. He would be one of the more desirable top prospects that we've seen in the past five or 10 years. But he stands five feet 10 and weighs 200 pounds. and He has average athleticism. So, hey, man, you know, like I mentioned before, C.J. Stroud, number one pick regardless of who's drafting. 
basically based on the fact that he's bigger than Young and he has more accuracy. Anthony Richardson has the best chance. He is the boom or bust. He is the Trey Lance, shall we say, type of prospect for this year because he had the best, he had the highest ceiling. But again, I mean, we take a look at what he did in Florida and we've, I, I guess I've always heard stories when it comes to Anthony Richardson from people who know what they're talking about. Anthony Richardson is a guy of unfulfilled expectations. Here was a guy when he was in high school, and I remember the story, goods, gosh, oh money, I forgot who told it. But I remember the story I heard on the podcast about Anthony Richardson. Was it, uh, oh, I forgot who it was, never mind. But um, so, um Anthony Richardson was at the seven-on-seven camps. You know, Trent Dilfer and a couple of others for high school seniors and such. They hold these uh, passing camps and they bring in the top uh, quarterbacks in the nation. And, you know, for days they go out there and teach them the tricks of the trade and and all those type of things. Well, when Anthony Richardson in high school, he was highly regarded and highly ranked and five stars and all this type of stuff or four stars or something. But, you know, every country, every team in the country would have loved to have his services so he goes to the um seven on seven camp during the summer with the other quarterbacks who are highly regarded who are going to the ufc's or ufc the usc's and the ohio states and the michigan's and the alabama's and the georgia's and the usc's now that uh, lane kiffin is the head coach of the trojans so you you have these quarterbacks with those type of talents right the best of the best in the uh, high school class that Anthony Richardson was in. And they said that, man, compared to these other guys, Anthony Richardson looked like he was a 25-year-old guy going up against 12-year-olds in terms of his physicality and just in terms of his build. I mean, the guy looked like a 25-year-old NFL football player. And this one, he was in high school. And you're thinking to yourself, good grief, then this guy's going to do wonders. This guy's going to bring back uh, some type of the, the, the good old days for Florida. And it never happened. It never got close. It was unfulfilled expectations. So now it was a situation where, okay, um, he was supposed to be doing work in, in, in college. He didn't. You could say that he was a disappointment. Okay, now going into the pros. Yeah, at the combines, he showed that his athleticism, generational. Combined 4-4-3 four, four, uh, speed. 40 and a half inch vertical, six foot four, 244 pounds, pounds with a rocket arm. I mean, that, that, that's great. I mean, he looked good in a t-shirt and sweats. I mean, he was awesome when there wasn't a rush. He was awesome looking when he didn't have to read a defense. He was awesome when he didn't have to call an audible. He was awesome when it wasn't a two minute situation and you're down by four and you've got 80 yards to go in a minute and 37. I mean, he, he looked good at the combine. But when we're speaking about actual football plays, what are we talking about here? Where are we going with this? What is the meaning of this? What does it mean for Anthony Richardson? Again, as I mentioned before in my last podcast, there's going to be some quarterback coach. There's going to be some offensive coordinator. There's going to be some head coach who is a guy who he believes can turn chicken shit into chicken salad, baby. Who's going to be able to take a look at those skills, take a look at that talent, take a look at that athleticism, and say to the head coach, say to the general manager, say to the owner, give him to me. Give me those gifts. Give me that talent. Give me that potential. And Lord have mercy, watch what I can do with it. I don't know what the hell they were doing in Florida. 
to screw up this guy when I take a look at his footwork and I take a look at his arm angle and I take a look at this and I take a look at that. Unless he gets a negative six on the uh, on the Wonderlick, give that guy to me because I can turn him into something. There's going to be a coach. We he get we get talked in that every single year. Coaches, offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, they all got egos. Kyle Shanahan has a big ass ego. How big and bold must you be? How into yourself, how high-fiving yourself, how stroking yourself, how big of an ego must you be if you're Cal Shanahan to have the stones? How secure in your job must you be if you are not only Cal Shanahan but John Lynch to say, give me draft young, uh, give me a, a, a Trey Lance. Draft up so I can get me some Trey Lance. Because even though at South Dakota State he didn't play against the Alabamas, he didn't play against the Michigans, he didn't play against the Georgias, he didn't play against the Tennessees, he didn't play against the UCLA's, he didn't play against the Clemson's, he didn't play against the Ohio State's, despite all of that. Hell, at South Dakota State his last uh, season, he didn't play against anybody because of COVID. Give him to me. Trade up to have me get him because I am Kyle Shanahan and I can take a project, I can take a piece of clay and mold that bitch into uh, Michelangelo, baby. Just watch me do my thing. There's going to be a coach with Anthony Richardson who is going to say the same thing. Get me that guy and let me paint my Picasso. Give me that guy that, give me that house Give me that house from hell and watch me turn that bitch into the Taj Mahal. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So if you're Carolina, man, what do you, if I'm Carolina, really, and I'm at the number one pick and I need a quarterback because we, we, we don't know exactly Caleb Williams maybe next season for USC, all likelihood as of right now is going to be the number one pick in the draft. But there, there is no sure bet. There is no sure shot. There is no without question. There is no generational talent that, that, that we've seen in not only this year's draft, but next year's draft. So if you're Carolina, what do you do with the number one draft pick knowing how much you gave up to get to the number one spot? The fact that you do not have a first round draft pick in 2024. The fact that you do not have a second round pick in 2025. You got to make this work. You, you, you can't Jameis Winston this pick. You can't David Carr this pick. You can't Jared Goff this pick. You can't Mark Shan- Sanchez this pick. You can't Zach Wilson this pick. You can't Josh Rosen this pick. You can't Sam Darnold this pick. You can't Baker Mayfield this pick. Because you gave up too much. To be like, oh, well, we made a mistake. Let's just go ahead and, oh, I forget. That's right. We don't have a draft pick in the first round. Damn. Because we gave that away to Chicago. And again, for Chicago, how smart was it for them to say, yeah, not only are we going to get C.J. Moore to uh, proclaim our belief in Justin Fields moving forward and knowing that, man, we got to get this guy some, um, we got to get some some, uh, some help for this guy at the wide receiver position. But, but man, what does it say for the fact that the Chicago Bears are going to have the Carolina Panthers number one spot? And let's just say, for instance, that the Carolina Panthers go ahead and draft Bryce Young and plug him in to play quarterback or even put in some journeyman for Frank Wright to uh, play in the uh, first year of his tenure as coach of the Carolina Panthers. Hey, man, you really think Carolina is going to do some things where they're going to be getting out of 
the top 10 in terms of draft picks are concerned, man, this sets up Chicago very, very nicely. What happens if there's a situation where the Panthers go 5-12, and 4-13, and 13, somewhere around there, even if they go 6-11? and 11? That puts the Chicago Bears at a very advantageous position for next year's draft. Just continue to build around Justin Fields. I tell you today in the NFL with the hardcore cap, the days of the 1960 Green Bay Packers, the days of the 1970 um, Pittsburgh Steelers, the days of the 1980s San Francisco 49ers, that shit don't work no more. You understand what I'm saying? You can't have Franco Harris, Rocky Blair, John Stallworth, um, Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, and then the Doomsday Defense. You can't have Paul Horning, Bart Starr, Jim Taylor, Dave Robinson, uh, Nitschke, Willie Davis, Willie Wood, Herb Adderley. You can't have that in today's football game where you have Hall of Famers, multiple Hall of Famers on both the offense and the defense. You can't do that anymore. You can't have Ronnie Lott. You, you, you can't have uh, Ron, Ronnie Lott and then um, uh, go ahead with um, uh, uh, John Taylor and Joe Montana, then Steve Young, then Roger Craig, Tom Rathman, Jerry Rice. You, you can't have that anymore. Hell, how long did the Dallas dynasty of the 90s last because of great drafting that you had uh, a defense that was number one in the league and you still had Emma Smith, you still had Michael Irvin, you still had uh, Troy Aikman, you, you still had Alvin Harper at the number two receiver. You had those studs. You had Mark Sednowski at the uh, in, at the interior line. You had Nate Newton. You had those guys. You can't build a team like that anymore in the NFL. You have to decide which side of the ball you're going to be great on. Now, you could get lucky later in the rounds, later in the fourth round, the fifth round, the third round, whatever, and, and, and draft yourself a gem that could prove to be uh, a stud that you weren't planning on him to be, have that type of impact. But for the most part in the NFL, you're going to have to decide where are we going to be dominant because we can't be very good on both sides of the ball. Where are we going to invest our resources? Now, you can't invest them totally in the one side of the football, but where are we going to pay the most attention to? You got to pay it to a quarterback, man. If you're the Chicago Bears and you have yourself a quarterback like Justin Fields, you got to invest. You got to put the money in. You got to put the players, you got to put the draft picks to Justin Fields. Now, yes, the Chicago Bears last year were terrible on defense. And yes, someone at the number nine pick, the Chicago Bears drafting Jalen Carter out of Georgia. If he's still there, yes, that's tempting. Yes, that's uh, something that they need to think about. But in the end, it's like, what are we going to do? Are we going to build for our offense and build for our defense? The Chicago Bears were horrendous on defense. But the fact is, they didn't have one Pro Bowl player last year. That's how dearth the um, talent was for the Chicago Bears. Not one. Not one Pro Bowl player. And the only player, maybe with David Montgomery and Justin Fields, were the only ones that were worth a doggone. That were worth a, a, hoot, a hoot and a holler. So you you have to use this. I was again. I would I would protect my quarterback with the utmost. If that means we got ourselves a, a wide receiver in C.J. Moore, who has been very successful despite the fact that he's played with what in his four or five NFL seasons he's played with what eleven different quarterbacks at one time. I mean, th- this is a situation where here, here's a guy who is, you know, he caught over a, a thousand yards and he's been playing with, what, 11 different quarterbacks at who have been mediocre at best when you speak about uh, Sam Darnold, when you speak about others. So, yeah, man, 
This is something where, you know, the Chicago Bears went out and gave Justin Fields some help. And the fact was, the news was, the rumor was that the Bears had better offers, more draft picks and such from other teams. But they were like, uh-uh, we want ourselves a wide receiver and insisted to the Panthers to include C.J. Moore in that deal or there was not going to be a deal. So, look, man, the Bears should be big-time players in free agency this offseason. Adding Moore's base salary next season at around $20 million. The Bears are still going to have a league-best $75 million in cap space. Now, some of that money is going to have to go to their draft class, but still, the Bears couldn't make a run. So, if again, if you're looking for a wish list for the uh, Bear squad, please go out and get some help from Justin Fields because the man was sacked 55 times last year. That was worth, worst in the league. And again, they don't have any Pro Bowl players on their rosters. Please go out and get that band some help. If you would, if you could, Chicago, that would be great. That would be great for those in the Windy City. That would be great who are Chicago Bears fans. That would be great for those who were Justin Fields fans. Uh, but the um, Bears coming out. Looking good. Carolina Panthers, hmm, quarterback trade. What are you going to do? Don't have the first round pick. But that number one pick, if they trade out of it this year, can they recoup a number one pick? Because they even recoup a number one pick for next season to take back the number one pick for next season that they gave to the Chicago Bears. Where is that going to be placed? What's going to be talking about? Some interesting stuff coming up as the trade deadline continues. When I come back, Lamar, 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 and Daniel Jones re-signing with the New York Giants. What does it mean for the Giants moving forward? Is there collusion when it's coming to Lamar Jackson? Is there racism when it's coming to Lamar Jackson? Interesting. I'll discuss all of that. Wendell's World of Sports. Yours truly, Wendell Wallace. I need to get on down with the greatest ever. Well, I'll I'll, I'll save that a little bit, but uh, I'm still going to get on down. Let me boogie break, and I'll be back with you just in a sec. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Just a minute, let me go ahead and check my hair real quick. Oh, that's right, I don't have any. Uh, Jerome, put away the mirror. Hey, Jesse, now Jerome, yes. Odeo, do the bird. Wendell's World of Sports, that's the time, y'all. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. What time is it? Four. I'm so damn cool. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. I'm also getting a little bit tired. I'm recording this a little bit later on in the uh, evening, so I have to hurry up because i got work tomorrow. So let me go ahead and speak about the New York Giants signing Daniel Jones before I go ahead and start speaking about the 
collusion, the racism, the I don't know what this is all about with the uh, um, with the Lamar Jackson situation. But let, let, let let's go ahead first to speak about the re-signing of Daniel Jones for the New York Giants. Four years, one hundred and sixty million dollars. Jones is going to get thirty-five million dollars in incentive. Which is set to get, and he was set to get the franchise tag if the contract wasn't reached by a deadline. Now, according to ESPN, Jones is going to get $82 million fully guaranteed, which will cover the first two years of the deal. And according to Ian Rappaport, the 2023 cap hit for the Giants is around $19 million, and the annual salary of $40 million puts Jones tied for seventh highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. Again, his guaranteed salary at $82 million is eighth highest amongst the league. If we're going to uh, be going in terms of, hey man, is Daniel Jones worth this? Okay, you, you read the numbers just in terms of dollar amount. Is Daniel Jones one of the top eight players in the game? Here, here's my deal. Here's my deal. Look man, you can sit there and you can talk about Daniel Jones had a great season and a bounce back season, and for Daniel Jones, it was a great season. And I and I want to I want to put a pause on that just for a quick just for a quick second because I said that Daniel Jones had a great season. Daniel Jones did not have a great season. Daniel Jones had a surprising season. Daniel Jones had an unexpected season. So because Daniel Jones was not expected to play as well as he did, some people might be fooled and use the G word, the great. Or the good, that word. Daniel Jones was pretty good. Daniel Jones outplayed his expectations. The question now is, outplaying your expectations, is that worth all that money? Outplaying the expectations still didn't get the New York Giants anywhere close to being one of the elite teams in the NFL. Playing up to or surpassing his ex- his expectations more than we, we ever thought that he could, Daniel Jones was still just a pretty decent, above average, at best quarterback. You can talk about the lack of skill position players. I give you all of those things. But still, I think Daniel Jones was not a top eight quarterback. Um, but here's the deal. Here's the rub. Here's the uh, other situation. If you're a New York Giants fan... And you're saying, okay, Daniel Jones is not that worth that type of money. Let's let him go. Who are you bringing in? Is Daniel Jones going to be better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Somehow, some way, if you could have pried Geno Smith from the Seattle Seahawks, is he better than Geno Smith? Is he better than Derek Carr? The situation was, okay, you had to pay him, and the fact that you only paid him for four years, this is not a seven-year contract or something nutty like this. This is a situation where if Daniel Jones does not perform up to the money that he's making or he does not perform to the same level that he played in this past season when he succeeded expectation from being a guy who was going to not just lose his starting job but probably lose the uh, employment of the New York Giants going from that Brian Dayball saves his career in New York for the time being, and now here's a guy who succeeded expectations. But still, within all of that, 
He's not one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. He's not a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. He still needs help around him to get to where they want to go. And as we saw in the game against Philadelphia, the playoff game, and even in the regular season with some of the elite teams in the NFL and in the NFC, the Giants did not perform well, including Daniel Jones. Is he worth the money? I don't really care about the money so much as I care about the years. So how quickly can Daniel Jones and how quickly can the New York Giants get out of a bad contract? Hey man, for money, make all the money that you want to, man. When you're talking about playing a sport where it's taking years off your life and maybe decades off the quality of your life, not just for you, but the heartache and the hardship that you're going to be causing your family when you're going to be 45 years old and you're going to be 50 years old. Hey man, forget about CTE, forget about dementia, forget about Alzheimer's, forget about memory loss, forget about mood swings, forget about all that stuff just for a quick second because if that's the most devastating thing that can happen for those who play football. But we're just speaking about the everyday that we take for granted, getting out of bed, walking up a flight of stairs, walking long distance, sitting in a car or sitting down for long periods of time and what it does to your, your, your joints. At, during the cold winter months, what does it do to your, your fingers and your hands and your bones and your joints and your knees and your hips and your elbows and your shoulders? I mean, it's just, look, I'm not saying I'm, I'm feeling sorry for these guys because these guys have chosen to play the game that's going to take the quality of life off their uh, off their livelihood, off their years, off their mortality. But, hey, man, they're still making a boatload of money and no one's putting a gun in their head to play this game. But... I say because of the way that the game robs you of a lot of your vitality in life later on in your life, that yeah, man, you you need to uh, get as much money as possible and, and don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed, don't, you know, walk around with your head down looking like a chump, no, no, man, if you're Deshaun Watson and yeah, you might be a creep and yeah, you might be a sexual predator and yeah, you might be all those things. But hey, man, Malcolm and Martin didn't die so you could walk around with your head down looking like a chump because someone was going to be paying you $230 million. Medgar didn't get assassinated for you to feel sorry for yourself because someone was willing to pay you that amount of money. You take it in your run and you leave the uh, massage therapist alone. So that's the same thing with Daniel Jones. Well, a little bit in terms of, hey, man, you take your money and uh, you don't apologize for anybody, Someone's, anybody for it. Someone's going to give you that amount of money, then you take it and you just say, hey, man, you know, let me do the boogaloo and the slap you in the mouth too. So, um, yeah, is, is it a wise move for the New York Giants? Does that put them closer? Even with a four-year contract, I just feel that it's still almost for the Giants like it's a prove me type of quarter, uh, type of, of contract. Yes, you could take a look at it and say, wait a minute, man, he's being paid the eighth highest in the NFL. He's making $82 million over two years guaranteed. That's over $40 million. And you're going to try to tell me it's a prove it to me contract? Yes. Yes. Because if it was a situation where they knew that Daniel Jones was going to be their franchise quarterback for long term, they would have signed him to a much longer deal. And again, let's, let's, let's not think about the totality of the amount that's going to be given $160 million. Let's think about the guaranteed. Let's think about the signing bonus. 
82 million guaranteed over two years, which means that after two seasons, the New York Giants can then revisit this and see what they're going to be doing with Daniel Jones. They can still release him. They can still uh, have him restructure the contract. There's still some flexibility that the New York Giants can do if Daniel Jones doesn't reach the stature of quarterback that now comes with the amount of money that he's going to be making for two seasons. So I think all in all, I think the Giants did what they had to do. I think it was smart for the Giants to sign them to uh, that type of contract in terms of easily getting out of it in, in a couple of years. Jones had the lowest interception rate this season at 1.1%, had careers high, had career high in uh, completion percentage at 67% passing yards at over uh, 3,200. And in passer reigning, he was 92 and a half. He also added a career high in rushing with over 700 yards and uh, seven rushing touchdowns. So, okay. You can take a look at this starter being a 21-31-1. His touchdown total throughout his career is 60. This guy is never going to be a guy that's going to be at the elite level of quarterbacking. He's never going to throw for over 4,000 yards. He's never going to pass for over 30 touchdowns. He's never going to be asked to throw the ball 40 to 45 times a game which is the reason why they are expected the Giants, and I think that they already did, to franchise tag Saquon Barkley, who rushed for over 1,300 yards last season, which is fourth in the NFL. And he finished with over 1,600 yards from scrimmage in 2022, which was good for seventh in the league. And when Jones and Barkley played together, Jones has 44 passing touchdowns and 17 interceptions in his career, his career in which Barkley plays and is just passing for 16 touchdowns and had 17 interceptions when Barkley does not play. So the yin with the yang for the New York Giants to get Saquon and Daniel Jones. I tell you what, I'm not giving a long-term deal to uh, Saquon Barkley. Not a guy who has, what, has not just one, but two devastating knee injuries. I'm not giving him a four-year deal. I'm not giving him a five-year deal. I'm taking a look at what the Cowboys did with Ezekiel Elliott. I'm taking a look at what the Los Angeles Rams did with Todd Gurley. I'm taking a look at those examples and say, no, man, I'm not paying any um, running back. I don't care if you're Derrick Henry. I don't care if you're Kristen McCaffrey. I don't care who you are. I'm not paying you over. I'm not paying you a five-year contract. We can do three to four years each time, but I'm not paying you five. And I'm not going more than five years for a running back, especially one with Saquon Barkley. I don't care what you mean to uh, Daniel Jones. Situation where the contracts for Jones and Barkley should be congruent in terms of if Jones or Barkley does not live up to expectation and they need to get rid of both, then they'll probably be moving on. They'll probably be moving on possibly from Brian Dable if he cannot get this to work. Even though, yes, he won coach of the year and even though he did a marvelous job with the uh, Giants, they'll probably have, what, two, three years in terms of Saquon and Daniel Jones together as a tandem to evaluate if this is a group, that this is a tandem, or this is two pieces that we can surround the rest of the team with to be successful. And if they bust and if they crash and burn, um, the person who's going to take the uh, biggest, um, going to take the most of the criticism outside of Jones or Barkley is going to be the head coach, Brian Dable, which means that he might not be long for New York if, in a couple of seasons, Jones regresses. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, Lamar Jackson, is there collusion? Lamar Jackson, is there racism? The answer is no. 
But according to league sources, last Tuesday, the Baltimore Ravens have placed the non-exclusive franchise tag on the quarterback. What does that mean in terms of the non-exclusive tag? What does that mean, Wendell? What, what are we talking about here? Well, let me let me explain. Ding, ding, ding. Class for Mr. Wallace is in session. The non-exclusive tag means that Jackson is free to negotiate a contract with other NFL teams. But if he returns to Baltimore without working out a long-term extension, either the Ravens or another with the Ravens or another team, he is then guaranteed a salary of $32.4 million next season twenty for the 2023 season. Now, the, the difference between the non-exclusive tag and the exclusive tag is the fact that if the Ravens franchise tagged him, which meant put the exclusive tag on him, and they couldn't come up with a long-term deal, then his salary for the 2023 season would have been $45.2 million. But the only difference is it would have barred Jackson from going out and trying to negotiate with other NFL teams. The non-exclusive tag says, okay, we're going to tag you, but you do have the right to go out and try to negotiate with another team. We'll have the opportunity, the Baltimore Ravens meaning, to match that offer from any team that gives you a contract extension or offers you any type of contract. Um, but if nothing happens, if you find that the market is cold and you have to come back to Baltimore and we don't get a long-term deal done, then because we put you on a non-exclusive tag, that means that your salary is 30, what, 32 Point four million dollars, but if we just said, "Nah, man," like the Minnesota Vikings did with Kirk Cousins, or um, the Washington Football Team did with Kirk Cousins, where they kept putting a franchise tag on this guy, um, same thing with the Ravens. The Ravens can just continue to put the franchise tag on them for a couple of years before they can't do it anymore. And again, if another team offers Jackson a contract, the Ravens will have the opportunity to match whatever contract Jackson strikes up with another franchise, or refuse to match it and receive two first round pick so if the price is too high or if the guarantee money is too much and the Ravens say we ain't balking whether it's the Atlanta Falcons whether it's the I don't know Detroit Lions whoever is going to offer Lamar um, a big time deal if the, the Ravens have that chance to match it but if they don't then they get two first round draft picks in return so the two-year cash ramifications for Jackson under the non-exclusive tag well, this is where it kind of gets like, damn, that's kind of fucked up. If the Ravens apply a second straight franchise tag in 2024, if they can't work out a long-term deal with Jackson, that tag will trigger a 20% increase over Jackson's previous salary, right? But since he's on the non-exclusive tag and he's making $32.4 million, if he can't go and get a long-term deal somewhere or if he had to come back and play on the non-exclusive franchise tag, and he still, after this season, can't reach a contract with the Baltimore Ravens. And the Ravens decide to franchise tag him. Again, triggering triggering a 20% increase. That means that the salary for Jackson in 2024 will be $54 million, a one-year guaranteed contract. So since Baltimore has applied the non-exclusive tag, again, a $32 million salary in 2023 would translate into thirty. $8.9 million in salary in 2024 with a second straight tag. Not $54 million, but uh, 20, 30, almost uh, $39 million. If Jackson stays in Baltimore, the non-exclusive tag translates into a two-year cash commitment of roughly $71.3 million for 2023 and 2024. 
if the Ravens had chosen to exclusive tag franchise tag him, then that two-year total in cash would have been more than $99 million. Because again, if the Ravens would have franchise tagged him, and then that salary would have been $45 million, and they couldn't reach a long-term deal, and then the Ravens said, we're going to franchise tag you again and then pay 20% of that salary. Again, you're talking about a difference of around $28 million. Yikes, ouch, that hurts. So here, here's the deal. Multiple sources familiar with the negotiation have told Yahoo Sports that the two sides, speaking of Jackson and the Ravens, remain far apart on a long-term extension. Jackson is pursuing a deal similar to the fully guaranteed five-year, $230 million contract of um, Deshaun Watson, who signed with the Cleveland Browns. The Ravens haven't been inclined to get close to that number. So so here's the deal. And we spoke about collusion and I can't believe this and Lamar's always been put down and so there's racism involved in all of this nonsense. Hey, hey, look, man. I'm coming from... Now, normally I'm always siding with the player. And I again, because of the long-term ramifications physically, mentally, emotionally on their bodies long-term, not just with the player, but also with their family members, their kids, their wives and their mothers and their fathers and such, I always say, hey, man, the sport that you play as far as the NFL football is concerned, get as much money as you can. So normally I am all for the player making as much money as possible. But in this case... When it comes to Lamar, Lamar Jackson and him wanting almost an, a, a, a contract that is going to be fully guaranteed or he wants a contract that's fully guaranteed, hey, man, I got to side with the owners and say, Iron ain't no way in hell I'm giving you fully guaranteed money. Well, the president has been set because the Cleveland Browns, said, well, I'm not Jimmy Haslam. That's Jimmy Haslam's problem. So because Jimmy Haslam was dumb enough to sign Deshaun Watson to a $230 million contract that's fully guaranteed, I got to go down the same road and make the same mistake? I got to be stupid and pay him, that Lamar Jackson, that same amount of money? There ain't no way. There ain't no way. As Aretha Franklin said, ain't no way. Ain't no way I'm ever going to play Lamar Jackson fully guaranteed money when he can't stay healthy. No, I'm not doing that. And, 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 And here's the deal. You know why, for me, it isn't racism? Because outside of Lamar, of uh, Deshaun Watson, who's black, who else in the NFL has a guaranteed contract? I mean, it ain't like everybody else who's playing quarterback and has guaranteed money, and somehow, some way, the, the the Ravens are saying no, no, no. And if there's collusion going on, to say, hey, look, man, no, this ain't going to be happening. We ain't going to go down the same road of Jimmy Haslam. Where we're not going to pay anybody. A quarterback, a linebacker, a wide receiver, a punter, a kicker, a long snapper, a linebacker, a wide receiver, a defensive back, a defense. No, we're not paying anybody in the NFL fully guaranteed money. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're Asian. I don't care if you're Hispanic. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're a Muslim. I don't care if you're a Christian. I don't care. I don't give a damn. There is no way in hell in a game of football, as a, a sport as brutal and as physical as it is, I ain't paying nobody a guaranteed contract. Are you nuts? If I'm an owner, I don't care. From Patrick Mahomes all the way down. Patrick Mahomes is great. Patrick Mahomes is unbelievable. Patrick Mahomes might go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. There ain't no way in hell I would ever pay Patrick Mahomes a fully guaranteed contract. When Tom Brady was doing his thing, 
when Tom Brady was rewriting the record books, when Tom Brady was going down as the GOAT as far as quarterbacks are concerned, there is no way in hell I'm paying Tom Brady guaranteed money. I'm not paying Justin Herbert guaranteed money. I'm not paying Joe Burrow guaranteed money. I'm not paying uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence guaranteed money. I'm not paying anybody uh, guaranteed money at the quarterback position. Because the game is too physical. The game, I'll pay you a very healthy signing bonus. I'll give you a pretty sweet um, uh, base salary. But for Joe Burrow and for these guys coming up, Justin Herbert coming up, yeah, I'll give you guys a nice fat contract in terms of the signing bonus and in terms of the guaranteed money. But I ain't giving you a contract that's 100% guaranteed. Has nothing with racism to do with it. It's not like the Baltimore Ravens are lowballing him. The Baltimore Ravens are saying, look, man, we, we can't go ahead and give you a fully guaranteed contract just because... Some dumbass of an owner did the same with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, if that means we have to go with Todd Hundley, then so be it. But hey, look, man, we just can't do it. We're not going to do it. We can't give that contract. If I'm not going to give a guaranteed contract to Patrick Mahomes, why in the hell am I not going to? Why, am I, why in the hell would I give a guaranteed contract to Lamar Jackson, a guy who's one and three in the playoffs, a guy whose game is not going to age well? I, I think Lamar is a fine quarterback. I think Lamar is a top seven, top eight quarterback. I think Lamar Jackson is one of the most unique football players that we've ever seen. I think that he's come from the lineage of Randall Cunningham and Michael Vick and all these other uh, quarterbacks who could pass and run the football, who were great runners and who were great passers, not scramblers, because that's the reason why I didn't add Fran Tarkington in there, but guy who can do design runs and everything. Lamar Jackson is one of the ultimate weapons in the NFL right now. But I'm not going to give a guy who plays with that style a fully guaranteed contract where you're going to be paying him over, what, $50 million? Guaranteed for five or six years? A guy who hasn't been able to stay healthy in, what, four or five straight NFL season when he's been the starter? Not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You know, again, this is a situation where his dynamicism in terms of his athleticism is one of the reasons why he's one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. So if I give this guy a five- or six-year contract, what's going to be happening three years down the road? What's going to be happening four years down the road? What's going to be happening five years down the road when he doesn't have that athleticism like he had when he was 23, 24, 25, 22? And he's going to be making, what, 50-something million dollars guaranteed? And he's already been prone to injury? Not going to do it. I, I, I can't do it. So, I mean, this this stuff about collusion and all this kind of stuff. No, maybe it's just the owners just kind of saying, hey, man, just because um, just because Jimmy Haslam was dumb enough to pay LaShawn, uh, Deshaun Jackson that amount of money, that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Hey, and look, man, you know, Jackson won the MVP in 2019. He became the first quarterback ever to throw for 30 touchdown passes and rush for over 1,000 yards in the same season. He's the first player with 5,000 passing yards and 2,500 rushing yards through the first three seasons. He's one of six players with 100 yards passing touchdowns and 20-plus rushing touchdowns through the first five seasons. Wonderful. Awesome. Fantastic. Great. And he hasn't been working with any receivers to begin with. Since Jackson was drafted in the 2018 season, no Baltimore wide receiver has finished higher than 
35th in terms of the best wide receivers in the game. So he doesn't have Jamar Chase. He doesn't have uh, Jefferson. He doesn't have Stephon Diggs. He doesn't have uh, those guys. So, you know, it's, it, it, he, he's been remarkable. But then again, if I'm Baltimore, I'm not giving a guy who has played 24 games the past two seasons and missed the final six games of the 2022 season because of a PCL sprain and um, missed at least one game in each of his first four seasons as a starter, I'm not going to be giving him fully guaranteed money. I don't care. Carolina's desperate, desperate for a quarterback. Indianapolis is desperate for a quarterback. The Jets should be desperate for a quarterback despite getting Aaron Rodgers. If you could tell me that I could have Lamar Jackson at a decent price for five years or Brett or uh, Aaron Rodgers for two, I would go with uh, Lamar Jackson all day long. The Houston Texans need a quarterback. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers need a quarterback. The Atlanta Falcons need a quarterback. Teams that should be desperate for a starting quarterback. Washington, Tennessee, the Rams, all of those teams should be in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes along with Atlanta and Tampa Bay and such. But if, if Lamar and his mom, who's his agent, is going to be come up talking about, you know, he needs guaranteed money, there's the door, Mr. Jackson, and take Lamar with you. We're not, we're not interested. So, you know, the bad quarterbacks have gotten out of control, man. If you speak about uh, Denver or Russell Wilson, look, they're, they're paying him. They're going to be paying him 20, what, $49 million in the 2028 season when he's going to be 41 years old. You think Denver is regretting the decision to give that big fat contract extension to Russell Wilson? I mean, he's under contract for seven years at a total of $296 million. You think Kyler Murray with Arizona? Him signing a five-year contract worth $230 million, including $160 million of that guaranteed. You think Arizona's not saying, oh shit, what the fuck did we just do? And giving that guy a quarter, giving that guy that type of money when he suffered a non-contact injury on December 12th against the uh, Patriots and underwent surgery on January 3rd. So with that ACL, we don't know when he's going to be coming back. He's not been the greatest leader in the locker room and he's not been one of the more... Um, uh, popular players in that locker room because of his immaturity and all this other stuff. I mean, a guy who had a who had a clause in his contract talking about he needed to um, he needed to watch film and he needed to go over film and he needed to study uh, more. Putting that in his contract, and then you're going to give this guy a contract worth two hundred thirty million dollars. You don't think the Arizona Cardinals are regretting that decision? You don't think the potential calamity that could be Deshaun Watson signing with Cleveland? Five years, $230 million, fully guaranteed, in which he signed with the Browns in uh, 20 to 22. Nah, man, if I'm the MF, if I'm, uh, there's just been too many bad contracts. Aaron Rodgers next year is going to be making, what, $60 million at the age of 40? Nah, man, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh. If I'm the Baltimore Ravens, I'm like, nah, man, I, I can't do that with Lamar, and especially giving him guaranteed money, can't do it. So it ain't collusion. It's, it's not racism, it's none of that stuff. It's just some of these owners now finally coming to their senses and saying, hey man, we got to slow down on bad contracts. Enough is enough. Lamar, you're worth a lot. Lamar, you should be paid like a top six, top seven type quarterback. But fully guaranteed money in the NFL, that's absurd, that's nonsensical. And uh, for Lamar Jackson, I'm sorry, man, it ain't going to happen.
the greatest of them all. Just the greatest of them all. Without question, the greatest of them all. The legendary, the American icon, the great Otis Redding. Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrow go straight to my... I'm singing more of the Sam Cooke type version. How swath sophisticated straight to my lover's heart for me, nobody but me. That's more of a swab debonair, Mr. Soul, cool Sam Cooke. Otis, gritty, grinded. You see how he ended up, how he ended the uh, uh, the song? I mean, you hear Sam's version, you hear Otis's version, both awesome, both fantastic, but, but Otis, just the greatest of them all. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. NBA News, I'm going to run through these really quickly because I want to hurry up and go to bed. NBA News, bad news for the Phoenix Suns, Kevin Durant's going to miss three weeks, could miss the rest of the uh, regular season with an ankle injury, he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks. According to the Suns, after he suffered a left ankle sprain this past Wednesday, he slipped during pregame warm-ups in what was supposed to be his home debut in Phoenix against the Oklahoma City Thunder. According to The Athletic, he continued to warm up after the fall, but later ruled out of the game. He played in three games so far with the Suns. He's averaged almost 27 points and seven rebounds. All three of those were Phoenix wins. I spoke on the last podcast about that game in Dallas on Sunday, which when you take a look at the three games that Kevin Durant played in with the Phoenix uh, with the uh, Phoenix Suns, that was the uh, toughest game. But, uh, hey man, of all, I mean, it's, it's almost like you've you got to be kidding. It, how many, like, you know, there, you ever, remember that uh, show on uh, Spike TV, A Thousand Ways to Die? You remember that? And they went through all these scenarios of people dying. It's almost like a thousand ways Kevin Durant can get injured. Really? Slipping him and Anthony Davis. I mean, they have these injuries where it's kind of like, what? Really? Zion Williamson is now starting to uh, get in that category too, where it's like, man, can, can these guys, can I get 50 games? Can I get 65 games out of Kevin Durant? Can I just get something? I mean, in terms of the injury this time, and it's always a situation where, look, he comes back from these injuries. There's no rust. There's no get back in the shape time in terms of his game or anything like that. He always comes back, and he always comes back like he hasn't missed the beat, man. But it's just these consistent injuries that he that he gets now. He twists his, he, he sprains his ankle, warming up. He didn't fall on somebody's foot. He didn't. It didn't happen in the game. It was during warm-ups. He twists his ankle. And now he's going to be out three weeks or longer. Look, his history, injury history hasn't been great. He hadn't played more than 55 games in the regular season since his Achilles injury at the end of the 2018-19 uh, season. And it's always something. And this, and except for this injury, they're pretty much legit. In terms of, damn, you know what, well, that looked pretty serious or that was kind of unavoidable or that, you know, in the in, in ways to get injured in a game, um, you know, that's probably one of the ways to do it. Or if, uh, if, if, if you're going to have a knee injury and be out for a certain amount of time, how would that knee injury happen? Oh, okay, it would happen similar to what happened to Kevin Durant. So the, these really injuries aren't fluky or they're just not like, what? I mean, it's, it's, it's just Kevin Durant, man, again, in, in warm-ups. In warm-up, so so what are we talking about now? A, a, a sprained ankle, 
three weeks. He's 34 years old. He's had a history of uh, injuries. Now, if this was a situation where he's had a history of ankle injuries or he's had ankle surgeries or something like that, I think the alarm bells would be going. But this is just a situation where he was doing a thing. I don't know if he slipped on a wet spot. I don't know if the Phoenix Coyotes had played the uh, night before or Arizona Coyotes had played the night before. But come on, man. This is a situation where it's like, you got to be kidding me. So what did that mean for the Phoenix Suns moving forward? I know in a little bit that they played the Golden State Warriors. But again, this is a situation where I keep, keep saying again and again and again and again, you cannot trust Kevin Durant again and again and again and again and again. You cannot trust Chris Paul. I mean, one of these guys is going to get injured once the playoff starts. And what does that mean for Devin Booker? Or what would that mean for Chris Paul if Kevin Durant gets injured? And what would it mean for Kevin Durant if Chris Paul got injured? So this is the situation, once again, where I do believe that next season is going to be the season where we can really tell where Phoenix should have the expectation to do some really good work. And even, and I'm not even worried about chemistry or anything like that, or these guys need to get X amount of games under their belt. For me, it's just the injury history with Kevin Durant and Chris Paul. Devin Booker, while being out, he's proved to be pretty durable in the um, playoffs, even though he missed some time uh, in the first round against the New Orleans Pelicans last season. But, uh, you know, I, I can't put my trust in Durant and Chris Paul, and I can't say if the Phoenix Suns stay injury-free, i.e. Kevin Durant and Chris Paul because we know once the playoffs start or one, during the playoffs that one of these guys is going to get injured. So it's still Denver's um, conference to uh, to lose. Now there's some reports that um, Michael Malone and, and, um, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. are disagreeing on some stuff, on some things and such. They need to get that worked out. But, uh, yeah, man, the, the, the Phoenix Suns, just doggone it, man. Get it together. Get it together. I already spoke about the John Morant thing. He's going now into uh, rehab, so I spoke about that um, from the last podcast. Again, if you didn't hear it, my last podcast, speaking about John Morant, hey, man, guy needs to, uh, guy needs to surround himself with better people, but uh, you already heard that rant. So uh, let me go ahead. Let me just get my Georgetown Hoyer stuff off my chest and then let me get out of here. So uh, play me a little Otis to get me through uh, the end of the uh, show. And I'll be back rip-roaring, ready to go. Wendell Wallace here on Wendell's World and Sports. Give me a little lovey-dovey from the legendary Otis Redding.
I mentioned before, who is the greatest of them all? Have I spoken to you before about who is the greatest of them all? Have I thrown it, have, have, have I given you the notion, have I given you the idea of who I think the greatest musician as far as secular music, popular music is concerned, the greatest of them all, the legendary, the one and only Otis Redding. That's my man. Woo, that's my man. Final segment of the podcast, final final segment of the program. Again, I'm going to make this uh, relatively short because I have to wake up in about four hours to uh, get my day started at work, and I don't want to be a zombie because it's only Tuesday uh, as I'm recording this Tuesday morning. So I just want to, uh, look, man, I'm going to get into the um, NCAA tournament a little bit later on. I, I don't know the brackets. I don't know the seedings. I just haven't followed college. I'm starting to college. I'm starting to follow college basketball a little bit more now, and I'll be paying more attention to it now since March Madness is starting. And yes, this past weekend I was paying. Uh, I was paying uh, attention to the conference championships and such. I I I I was doing all those type of things, but man, I've never been a bracket buster type of guy. It's never really been great to me. It's never been something that I've been interested in. Gambling is not something that I'm really interested in. So, hey, look, man, I'll be commenting because I'll be taking a look and seeing what's going on in the weekends in terms of the game and such. Getting familiar with the Arizonas. Getting familiar with the UCLA's. Good Lord, Mickey Cronin can coach. Getting familiar with the Marquettes. Getting familiar with the Dukes. Getting familiar this season with the Purdue's. Getting familiar with all of those teams. So, uh, give you a better heads up. Give you a better, this is what's happening give you a better this is what i think this give you a better this is what i'm going to happen this is what's going to be happening on my next podcast when i'm speaking about hopefully aaron Rodgers doing something and then talking about the ncaa tournament but 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 my goodness gracious let me start with this the nightmare is over the nightmare is finally over patrick ewing out as Georgetown's bench basketball coach. Hoya said they have already started a national search for new leadership. Ewing coached the Hoya to the NCAA tournament in 2021 after they won the Big East tournament title. They got their asses handed to them by Colorado because they couldn't guard Samaki, Samaki Walker's kid. Since then, it's been one of the worst train wrecks that I've seen in college basketball history. You, you go from winning the Big East Tournament in emphatic fashion. They beat Creighton in the Big East Tournament Championship game, Georgetown, my Georgetown Hoyas, 73-48. to Destroyed them. Ever since then, it's been one of the worst train wrecks in college basketball history. When you think about that moment, standing in an empty arena, holding up the championship sign in terms of we're number one conference champs or tournament champs to where they are right now, it's been remarkable. It's been awe-inspiring. It's been unreal when you speak about the season after they won that championship. They went winless in conference play and finished the season 6-25. and Then Mahoyas this season, they went out and got rid of everybody. They got rid of the coaches. They got rid of most of the players. The only the only people or the only person affiliated with that basketball team for the most part that was still around was Ronnie Thompson and Patrick Ewing. And they brought in new players and this and that and Ewing and the um, 
as the season was starting and the preseason was talking about this can never happen again, not on my watch. This was unacceptable and I did some soul searching and I talked to my friends in the coaching profession and I asked for help and I asked for tips and I asked for this and I asked for that and uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do this and Kevin Nickelberry coming from LSU, bringing in Brandon Murray and, uh, and it's a war to, uh, you know, to, uh, give my, um, team some talent infusion and, you know, we got Primo Spears and we went out and got nine transfers and all of this stuff. We got out, we got one of the best shooters in high school basketball coming to play for us. So this was supposed to be the make it or break it year, or this was supposed to be the rebound and no pun intended, the rebound year for Georgetown. Their preseason, you, you couldn't you couldn't make it any easier for these guys. The, the Hoyas were on, what, like a 19-20-something game losing streak, right? Going into uh, last season because they didn't win any, they didn't win any, um, I think the last win might have been against Syracuse or another, or, or a, or a, or a scrub mid-major division one team. But once regu- once the regular season started for the um, season before, Georgetown didn't win a game. So they hadn't won a game in almost 10 or 11 months. So the athletic director, Lou Reed, and everybody, they, they went out, along with doing and such, they went out and got themselves one of the most easiest preseason schedules that you can think of. They played American. They scheduled Coppin State. They scheduled Green Bay. They scheduled Siena. You know, they played a couple of tournaments where it was kind of like what Loyola Marymount and uh, another team that was basically mid-major. I mean, it, it, it was a situation where it was like, look, we have to start erasing the sins from last year immediately. So we'll start the season at home against Coppin State from the MEAC, one of the worst teams and one of the worst conferences in college basketball, right? At home. Introducing the new look Hoyas. And they won that fucking game in overtime. They got lucky to win that game in fucking overtime, giving up over 90 points to Coppin State. Kevin Nickelberry was supposed to be the guy that was going to fix the defense. He was the guy that was elevated to top recruiter and defensive coordinator for Georgetown, right? So everything was supposed to be better. The talent was supposed to be better, right? So now they were able to compete. The first game of the season, those guys got lucky to beat Coppin Flippin State. And I said to myself, Lord have mercy, we might be in trouble. But me being the ultimate Hoya fan, me when it comes to the Hoyas being the glass is half full fan and fool that I might be. I said, okay, well, you know, the, the, the team, they've got nine new players and they have the gel and jitters and all this type of stuff and new coaching staff. They went out and got Pat Baldwin. They went out and got Mickleberry. And the, okay, they just need to gel. They just need to do this. They just need to do that. I knew the season. I knew the season was going to be a train wreck when they lost to American. And here's what I also knew. When they lost to American... And after the game, American acted like it was no big deal. 5, 6, 8, 10, 12, 15, 25, 40 years ago, Georgetown loses to American. American, that that campus is probably still celebrating if they beat the John Thompson Hoyas, if they beat the Craig Esserick Hoyas, if they beat the John Thompson III Hoyas. There's no way in bloody hell 
that American could ever compete. This was just, again, this was supposed to be a game where Georgetown just got his sea legs under them, this, that, the other, feeling good about themselves. Then mofos lost to American. I said to myself, this team is going to be worse than it was last year. When you take a look at the talent, last year team, last year's team didn't have any talent to compete for uh, at a high level. None. I'm speaking about they didn't have the talent to compete, not at a high level in terms of winning games. I'm just talking about being competent. I'm just talking about competing against teams of similar ilk in um, major D1 conferences. Talent-wise, I know you can throw in Mississippi State or you can throw in Oregon State. You can throw in whoever. Um, Georgetown might have been the least talented team in major D1 basketball. When you had Colin Holloway and you had Dante Harris and you had Timothy Igawefe and you had Malcolm Wilson and you had that group. I mean, that was a bad, bad squad. Kobe Clark, um, you know, that, that was just a bad, bad. Jalen Bigginsley, that was a bad, 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 no talent group of players who had no business playing Big East uh, level, talent level basketball. None. And here you had that, you had... Aminu Muhammad and four clowns who had no business being on a uh, basketball court playing against Division One talent of the highest caliber, like uh, the conference that Georgetown is in. It was embarrassing. It was a mistake. It was a joke. It was a clown show. And who recruited these guys? You can blame Robert Kirby all you want to and others. Ewing was the guy that signed off on these guys. Now I always said that Ewing would be able to run a would be able to coach a basketball team. I was just skeptical whether he could run a program. If you take a look at all the guys who were transferring and stuff, it was like the 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 the, the coach Patrick Ewing, the X's and O coach Patrick Ewing, is not going to get him fired or get him in trouble. It's going to be the college basketball builder Patrick Ewing. It's the one that's going to get him fired. And um, this season, I have n- I had no fucking idea what he was doing, playing Primo Spears and Brandon Murray and Jay Heath the amount of minutes that he did, and shortened his bench. And he didn't play Deontay Bass, and he didn't play Denver England, and he didn't play Ryan Matambo. And no matter how many bad passes, no matter many, how many missed defensive assignments, no matter how no matter how many dumb penalties and dumb fouls. That uh, Jay Heath would make, no matter how, no matter how many fourth bad shots after dribbling for 30, 35 seconds that Primo Spears would take, no matter how many times he got beaten off the dribble, no matter how many times Brandon Murray made a bad play, it really didn't matter because those guys were going to play the entire fucking time. And he gave no run to such guys as Jordan Riley. He gave no run to Dikembe Mutombo. I don't know what the hell you were supposed to do if you were those guys. Jordan Riley came in when uh, Jay Heath had surgery on his hand. He played well. He played well against Villanova. He played well in a couple of other games. And as as soon as Jay Heath got injured or got uh, back on the court, the time for uh, for, uh, Jordan Riley went down and down and down and down to where he went right back to not getting any time at all. So it's like, well, goddamn, man, if I'm Jordan Riley, he's like, what the fuck do I have to do? I could go out there and score 45 fucking points a game. Coach Ewing's going to put me right, on, right back on the fucking bench. And here, here we have Jay Heath bricking shots, missing defensive assignments, turning the ball over, making dumb decisions, and he's still going to get 36 minutes. Primo Spears huffing and puffing by halfway through the second half when he hadn't gotten a rest. He's getting beat off the dribble. He's taking bad shots. He's making bad decisions, but he's not coming out. Brandon Murray doing the same thing. He's not coming out. 
So if I'm anybody else on that team, why do I give a fuck? What was that game against Creighton? Where uh, at the end of the game, where Georgetown was getting their ass whooped by 40, and with about four or five minutes, Ewing still wouldn't put the uh, younger guys in. He was still out there running Jay Heath. He was still running out there Primo Spears. He was still running out there Brandon Murray. And meanwhile, Creighton is just doing whatever the fuck they want to after the Georgetown team was getting fucking destroyed. Ewing still didn't go to the fucking bench. Like, goddamn, coach, what are you waiting for? A 60 fucking point loss before you put them in? So DeAndre Bass, with under a minute left, finally gets in the game when the score has been anywhere between 27 and the 40 in terms of the deficit is concerned in the second half. He finally gets in with about, what, a minute 30 left to, left to go. The first two times he touches the ball, he jacks up a three. And I'm like, good for you. Good for you. And you and yelled at him, good for you. Man, if I'm DeAndre Bass, I'm like, man, coach, fuck you. What are you going to do, put me on the bench? Shit. There's no, I mean, I can't get into the game with three minutes left to go. We're down by 40. You're still not going to play me? And then when you finally put me in, you're going to yell at me when I take when I jack up two three-pointers that were ridiculous? Fuck you. You're getting fired anyway, so go fuck yourself. What are you going to do, put me on the bench? You've been doing that anyway. I don't give a flying fuck. So it was like unfucking believable But man, so uh, I want I want Ed Cooley. I want Rick Bettino. I want somebody, man. I want somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing because uh, I have enough of this bullshit. Get me Patino. Have him turn this uh, program around now. Mike Anderson was fired at uh, St. John's, so we don't know what's going to happen. But uh, yeah, man, <sighs> I'm done with this shit. I'll let you. I'll, I'll keep you posted. But Micah Strewberry or something like that, the coach from Penn State, that's another um, coach that Georgetown is very much interested in, the coach for Penn State, Ed Cooley out of Providence. I don't think Ed Cooley's going anywhere, if anything. If I'm Ed Cooley, I would just use this Georgetown deal to get me a bigger bigger uh, raise against uh, bigger raise um, at uh, Providence. Even though we'll see, if he loses to Iona, <laughs> he might. I don't know what the temperature is going to be, but um, we'll see. But Ed Cooley and this guy for um, Penn State is the elite dog so far. Jeff Capel's name has been mentioned and a couple of others, but I'll keep you posted. All right, I'm done. I got to get some sleep, so I'll cut this short. Remember, y'all, Wendell's World in Sports. Be good to everybody. Be good to yourselves. Be good to your neighbors. Be good to those who deserved your respect, your kindness, your love, and support. All right, do that for me. If you would, please, that would be great. Get me out of here <sighs> with some music. Thank you.